Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Hi there, it's Laura Wasser. And if anyone knows how much divorce sucks, it's me. I've been practicing family law for over 20 years, and I've worked on thousands of divorces. Creating peace in families is how I lost my voice. From the top of the food chain all the way down to my very first case, which was my own divorce when I was 25. I wrote the book on divorce, or I wrote a book on divorce. It's called It Doesn't Have to Be That Way, How to Divorce Without Destroying Your Family or Bankrupting Yourself. That book became a bestseller because it presented another option for ending a marriage, one that doesn't necessarily include lawyers and one that leaves more money in both parties' bank accounts and less animosity in their hearts. We created It's Over Easy, the one-stop breakup divorce resource online with the same principles in mind. So welcome to the Divorce Sucks podcast, where we talk about breaking up, getting divorced, and moving on. Hi, everybody. Today's Divorce Sucks is about new beginnings. The winter equinox has passed. Christmas is past. The days will finally start to recover their light, and the darkness is fading away. Pre-New Year's Eve 2018, we wanted to talk in this download about family, which endures and exists after divorce. And the good news is family post-divorce is what you create with your kids, your co-parents, and it's not just about blood relationships because the family we create includes friends, co-parenting partners, neighbors, and all of the people you simply cannot live without, like my friend Johnny sitting next to me. My sister from another mister. And back in high school, who would have imagined that we'd be spending our mornings at this age talking about divorce? That's actually what I imagined we'd be doing (laughs) at this age. (laughs) Well, you've always had much better vision than I. Mm. Truth is stranger than fiction. But with regard to divorce, generally, there are no lightning bolts or magical signs that tell you when it's time to get divorced. When the bad starts outweighing the good on a consistent basis, you may feel that taking the next step is appropriate. It's a very personal decision and most likely should be arrived upon with the help of some kind of counseling or support. And that's what we've endeavored to be for you here on the Divorce Sucks podcast. And in case you've missed some of the compelling tidbits along the way, sit back and relax for our recap episode because today we're resurrecting some of our favorite interviews with some of your favorite people, including the inimitable Kris Jenner, the mother and momager of the Kardashian-Jenner clan, my dad, family law attorney Dennis Wasser Esquire, Reality TV's darling Shayna Shea, the Joker comedian Jay Moore, documentarian and political activist Nicole Boxer, and of course, my friend, the actress, activist, and comedian Ms. Chelsea Handler. So let's start out our recap of 2018 with the Chris Jenner interview. This is what we actually did before we came to Podcast One when Johnny had had the idea that we should start doing a podcast. And he and I and our sound friend, Bo. Who rode his motorcycle out there. Rode his motorcycle out to Hidden Hills (laughs) with our mic. And we did an amazing interview of the very patient and wonderful and interesting Chris Jenner, which is what... One of the things Podcast One was so interested in when we came, they're like, Mm -hmm. you got Kris Jenner. And I said, we got Kris Jenner. So check it out. You know, I've been a parent since I'm 22 years old. So that's a really long time. Yes. And, you know, when you start that journey, I never in a million years thought I would be spending the rest of my life or raising my kids without Robert. And that will always be a huge heartbreak for me. I think I was young and dumb and it's one of my biggest regrets. Divorce is so ugly. And it was especially ugly back then because 
it was a different time. Yes. And he definitely didn't sign up for marriage just to have four kids and then get divorced. So that will always be hard for me to take responsibility for, but I have. And the one thing I do know from living through that is how disappointed my kids were and how much that hurt them. And that's the heartbreaking part because it's ultimately you have to put your feelings aside, especially in the beginning when they're the most raw, which is the hardest to do. Yes. And think about the kids because Robert was two, my son, Robert, Mm -hmm. Chloe was five and the other kids were 10 and 11 or whatever they were, but they were young and it doesn't matter how young they are. Kids are like sponges. They absorb everything. They pay attention and they feel the energy that is in the room, no matter what's going on. So Robert and I decided after a few years of not being very kind to one another, that the best thing to do was to be friends. And we fell in love with each other for a reason initially, because we really liked each other as people. And he was the most amazing dad. And I think he thought down deep inside that I was a good mom. And so it was just better for us to make sure that the kids knew that we were a team. Right, right. And we were front. And we were not going to be separated. And especially when we went through the whole O. J. Simpson trial mm-hmm. and all of that and he was on one side and I was on the other. That was tough for them. And Robert at that point made it very clear to them that no matter what, we would at the end of the day all be together as a family when that was all said and done. So I think, you know, when you finally realize that there's a bigger end game, if you will, and it's about family, you're still a family. That's what I always tell people. You're still a family. You may live in different places. You may have other family members bolted on, which I always say, hey, that's just more people to love your kids. You're still a family. And I think if parents can really impart that to their children, Mm -hmm. their children will fare so much better through a split up. Do you think Robert would be a good grandfather? Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, kind of do too. I do. He would be the best. Well, he was so family oriented in his whole history of his parents and his grandparents. And it was all about family for him. The weekends were centered around family, the dinners, the events, the celebrations, the traditions, everything was about family. So he would be so excited. It's just child after child after child. And when Kendall and Kylie came along... You know, he was Uncle Robert. So I think he really enjoyed having so many family members and so many kids. And he was just, he was a great dad. But I think what was so nice about it, at the end of his life, we were best friends. Which is huge. You know, and that's And that must be huge for you. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And for my kids. Yes. You know, it, it always goes right back to the kids every single time. I think as adults, you know, we have to stop and think about, okay, what's the most important thing in our lives is our children. At least it is the way I feel. Yes. And I think that that's what the focus has to be. And when people just, you stop and think about that, nothing else really makes any sense. I agree. Children, family. I think you've done a really good job of being able to impart that to your kids. I know from dealing with the girls Mm -hmm. and Robert that how important all of their siblings and nieces and nephews are. So, I mean, you guys did something right. Well, I think that they all have really big hearts. They're really smart. They have a real sense of family. And we spend, listen, we work together. We play together. We spend all of our time together. We'll be on a break from filming and we still spend every single day together. 
So although which, we're blessed and we get to work together, we want to be together. Right. Which says something. You know, so it's good. You know what I think is so cool about Chris Jenner? I was What's just up? thinking about it. Yep. Not only does she have such wisdom of someone who's lived a relatively long life, yes. she's also so f***ing cool. I'll say. Like, that's really something. God yep. bless you, Chris Jenner. Happy yeah, New Year, man. And thank you for all the love that you showed us on Twitter and on Instagram this year. You really actually helped us to launch this uh, new version of the podcast with Podcast One. Yes. So the next one we're going to revisit is the Daddy Issues episode of Divorce Sucks. Um, it's one of our most downloaded episodes, and that's no surprise, because my daddy, Dennis Wasser, is the interviewee. It's one of our first episodes, and I think my favorite of them all. Um, I love you, Dad. Happy New Year, Dennis. First, with respect to the media, we have tried in this firm to keep things secret. We have also tried to go to the courts and ask them to keep things secret, but because we live near Hollywood or in Hollywood, divorces have to be covered by every media outlet, and every high-profile divorce is a media event from TMZ to CBS to NBC, etc., etc. But the way things have changed is we have uh, so much equipment now that can speed things up with the cell phones and the computers Everything has to be instantly done, and it, it's tough for people. People going through divorces need to give responses fairly quickly and the same with their lawyers. So not only has, have things been speeded up, but they've become much more contentious than they were when I first started practicing. And tell us about some of the changes gender-wise. I mean, we so, see so many more female breadwinners, though, now than we used to. I, I know that in my 20-some-odd years of practice, that's definitely changed. But going back to the 60s when you were first practicing, how different is it now in terms of child custody and, and equal time and support and that kind of stuff? Well, just to start, there were three women in my class of 200. Now, roughly the classes coming from law school are 50-50. In our firm, we have 20 lawyers. Five of them are male and 15 are female. In, term, in terms of the... He says uh, depressedly. Yeah, we, we, we tried. Um, in terms of the cases, uh, in the early days, in the 1960s, 1970s, even into the 80s, if you were a mother of children, you got custody of the children, especially young children. Nowadays, the court is trying to do what the law says, which is to try to achieve a 50-50 type relationship. Things are much more psychologically oriented now than they were. And um, uh, it seems to me that they, they have become much more contentious as well. Daddy, I want a podcast now. <laughs> well, you got one, babe. <laughs> Not thanks to Dennis, but so many other things thanks like, to Dennis. I like that he uh, was talking about the tech and how everything is sped up. And it was really early in our lifespan that we did the podcast with your dad. And between then and now, I mean, how fast has this whole process become? Yes. Now we're doing it once a week as opposed to once a month. And it's nonstop. Yes, absolutely. The, again, wisdom of other people's experiences, super, super important, just as important as kind of the evolution of dissolution and the change that we're trying to effectuate here at um, Divorce Sucks and It's Over Easy. So how do you know it's time? It's about the bad and the good. But sometimes you just know, like Bravo TV's Shayna Shea did. So... 
three months into the marriage, I found out he had a drug problem. That was something I was like, okay, we can get through this. We can work through this. Then right before our one-year anniversary, I found out that, and I just want to say for the record, I've never gone through someone's phone, and I never will go through someone's phone. If you go through their phone, you're looking for something, you're going to find it. Mm -hmm. And if it's not what you're looking for, you're going to find something else. So never go through someone's phone. Let their private space be their private space. This was because he was stupid and had borrowed one of my sister's old iPhones and the iCloud was still synced to her computer oh. because his phone was shipping or whatever and he needed a phone for a few days to hold him over. So I'm with my sister. We're just like shopping online and this like picture pops up on her iMessage and she just dismisses it. And I was like, that girl was cute. And I was like, who's that? I've never seen her. And she's like, I don't know. I'm like, what do you mean you don't know? She sent you a selfie. She's texting you. And she's like, it's probably one of Shay's friends. I'm like, what do you mean probably one of Shay's friends? Like, I've never seen that girl. And she was like, well, because he still has my phone, he never put his iCloud. She goes, so I get his messages all the time. I just ignore them. And I'm like, okay, well, now that it's been popped up in front of my face, open it up and let's see it. Right. So she opens it up. We could only scroll up so far because he had clearly been deleting the messages. And the first thing I see is, you on top of me sounds really good right now. Oh. And he sent this to a random girl I've never heard of and never seen. So that was the moment where I was like, I want a divorce, da, da, da. but that was just my anger and that was my immediate reaction. I was like, okay, no, like we're not going to get divorced. We had also just started filming season four and I had way too much pride to admit that that was what was really going on. So I kept it to only his addiction. and So that wasn't on camera, that whole situation? Not until after we got divorced. Got it. I kept that secret from most people. I just said that it was his addiction, and that was, like, the reason why we were having all of these issues, and I kept that other thing separate. And after another year, I was like, no, we can work through this. Like, it was nothing physical, although it was emotional. It was still hard for me. I still lost some trust in him. It completely ruined our sex life because I was like, well, I'm never getting on top again. So <laughs> that sucks because that's, like, my favorite position. Right. So after another year of that, it was just then money's going missing. Then he's not coming home. He's staying in the studio. And then one night he just didn't come home at all. And I have no idea where he is. We're calling hospitals, police stations, everywhere we can possibly think of. I have my friend sitting in rush hour traffic from Calabasas to pick me up because I can't even, like, function to try and go look for him. He, like, shows up at, like... 8.30 in the morning, all disheveled, said he had to walk home from Silver Lake because he didn't have any money. He took the bus and this and that. It was just he locked his phone in the studio and his keys. And the craziest story is that that was when I was kind of like. By the way, I have a 13-year-old son. This kind of sounds except <laughs> coming home at 8 in the morning. This sounds like some of the excuses I hear from him. I got to yeah. get on his phone, I think, to see what's happening. Can you go on your kid's phone? Is that allowed? Yes, okay. that's allowed. Right, good. Definitely. Good. Watch out, Luke Weber. I'm coming for you. <laughs> But after that, that was when it, that was a huge like wake up call for me. And I'm like, okay, things just still are not right. And then there was just more money missing. And so, I, then, by the way, folks, this is how you know. Like the question, how do you yes, know? Uh -huh. This is happening. You know, yes. this is, I think, second only to when you walk in and your nanny's blowing your husband because your kids are asleep. Yeah, because then you know too. All right, yes, but this I, this is. Kind of a conglomeration yeah. of things, and so I'm thinking I, like red flag. Yeah, yeah. many, many red flags, and I tried to just you know keep forgiving. I'm like, no, for better or worse, I took those vows seriously, and I tried to make it work. And it frustrates me when people just see an edited version of the show, and they're like, oh, you gave up on your marriage, like just because he's an addict, he needed you, and you left him. And I'm like, you don't even know 
half the story. Right. Like, I was going to ask that. Do you get like people saying, "Girl, you oh. didn't, or or you Absolutely. waited too long. How could you have let this happen?" You no, need, I actually didn't get that. You got more like cuz you're the got strong all one. Hate. Wow. And so after all of those things kept happening, I then there was another time where he just didn't come home at all. Didn't hear from him the next day. Uh, there was like a charge on the Amex, so I called Amex. I reported the credit card stolen. Mm. And then I didn't hear from him again the next day. He had stopped sharing his location with me. Finally, I get a hold of his brother, and he's like, he's fine. He's here with <laughs> us. Like, you guys should talk. I'm like, he left. Like, he hasn't come back. Like, it's been three days now. It went 10 days that so we didn't talk, and I didn't see him. And in those 10 days, I found out for a fact that is he told me he had been sober for like eight months now. I found out for a fact that he was buying Adderall from a friend of ours. And he was telling our friend that it was for someone else. Because my friend knew better than to sell him drugs. But he was like, dude, like, downers are my thing. Like, I don't like uppers. And he was like, oh, yeah, like, Vicodin was your thing. So, like, he believed him that it was for, like, his bandmates to stay up late in the studio or whatever. Not that that's okay. But once I found this out, I just knew in my gut. I was like, it's not for someone. Like, I just knew. And I was like, okay. I'm going to give him one more chance. If he tells me the truth that he's been buying drugs, that he's been taking them, and he tells me the truth, I will take every penny I have, put him in rehab, and support him because, again, for better or worse. Like, we took these vows. He has a problem that I can't fix, but I can try and support and be there for him. And so that moment on the couch when I asked I him, saw this one and I was like, I know you're doing drugs. And Mike he Shay lied. He, lied. To he said my it was face. his passion. That's why he was up all night, his passion. And I was just like, when See, I, I was at home talking to the yeah. TV, like, oh, Mike. <laughs> so in that moment when he was like, no, and I was like, okay, but have you bought them for anyone? Like, I'm giving him an out. Like, mm-hmm. have you bought them for someone else? Like, did you just pick up for a friend? Nope, nope, never, never. And I was like, and I want a divorce now. And that I was, there was no going back. Like, I knew he was lying to my face, and I knew I could never trust him, and I would never want to have kids with someone I could oh, never yeah. trust. That and, was a moment. And she was like, your room is really messy. Go get your shit. Oh, my God. It drove <laughs> me insane. I am such I'm a looking at Jeff in the booth. He's just amazed I even ever saw Oh, the my show. God. And then the song they use as he's packing his suitcase and rolling it out. I like, know. I know. It was very yeah, dramatic. It was. Thank you, Sheena, for getting real with us. Once you know it's time, the second time can really take you by surprise. We um, had the adorable, relatable, badass wrestler, dead sexy, super funny, funny man. <laughs> is, he, is he funny? Yeah, he's funny. Jay Moore, come on and get really vulnerable with us. No, it was much harder round two because round two is what you're sure of. Oh. And Springsteen's got a great lyric in Brilliant Disguise. God, God of mercy on the man who doubts what he's sure of. Um, I was sure. And I was sure. And it was amazing. And I was a different, better person because of my union with this other being. Like I became a truer self. And people noticed. I was, I, I was calmer. I was, you know, I, I wanted to... She's the only civilian I ever wanted to be as funny as. Ever. Like comics just work in this dog whistle arena in our own heads. It's like, you don't even know what the hell's going on half the time. And you only hear what I've edited. So as crazy as I am, you only hear what I've gone, this can go out. 
Right. It's like JFK and O'Hare up here. So with her, like you're learning words. It was really the love of my life. It was like she, the first date she used the word panacea. Thanks, brother. Um, I didn't know what it meant. And she explained it like in a beautiful, like, oh, it means, you know, like a cure. I go, oh, cure. I go, okay. Like I'm learning, like a bait. I'm learning new words with this person. And I give a shit about them. I want to be as smart as her. I want to be as funny as her. And I also have my own identity as a great comedian, a good actor. Like, I know what I'm doing, but there's this other world here. Like, this person lived in Santa Monica. She grew up listening to, like, foghorns in the ocean, and she fascinates me. And then when that starts going away, it's it's like having a, it's like having a, a big photo on a wall that gets too much sun. Why does it go away? You'll never know. There's you'll no look, why. You'll go insane. And you go, you know, if we move the photo out of the sun, it won't fade. You're like, it's not a photo in the sun. What's going on? It's my interpretation. Right. And I'm oversimplifying because I need to. And you just watch it go, and you watch it go, and you watch it go, and you keep bringing it up. And then when you bring it up, it's the sorest subject on earth, not what's actually happening. And then you, it's like, one of my poems, I had this line, untangling your necklaces before I get started on the news. It's like every conversation is untangling a necklace. And then every time you go to pick up the necklace to put it on, your only conversations are about the last time you tried to untangle it. And it gets more tangled and more tangled. You don't even enjoy that you're wearing this beautiful thing. It's, it's confounding. Like it's, I, like, I love evolutionary psychology as a wrestling coach and a fight coach. I love you know, apex predators and why and homo sapiens, homo erectus, you know, Neanderthals, like why things happen over millennia. When it happens in nine years and 11 months, and no, and that was by chance, by the way, because <laughs> don't forget, I got sent home. Right, I, I remember. I shoveled for, you know, I did my best for us. It's the most mind-boggling thing. It's like you go in the ocean, it's like rabbits, cats, and dogs. You're like, you guys aren't supposed to, what are you? It was like a f***ing dolphin mowing your lawn. You're like, what the f*** happened? And it just happens. Were you in therapy during this time period? No. I couldn't. I was, it was, being very careful about, I'll, you know, I'll share anything, but because there's another person. Right. I don't, it's not particularly fair. And it also never makes me feel better talking about the rearview mirror. And it took me two years, by the way, to realize, like, I'm just realizing that now, like, Wow, I'm like exhausted. My jaw hurts and I have diarrhea because <laughs> I just told somebody else what happened. Nobody gives a shit. Stop explaining what happened. The present doesn't need any explanation. You go to a show with a friend, a girlfriend, you go, this is the, we're even McIntyre. This is the best. And your friend goes, I know. That's it. Right. Because it's the present. Right. You don't go, we drove here. We got, when we went to the wrong theater and then that person took our ticket and that guy's coat was on the chair. No, right now, this is great. But when it's something negative and you tell people what happened, we want witnesses because it's so confounding. It's not reality, but it is reality, but you don't know what reality is eventually. And that's why homo sapiens are still here and not extinct because we were able to speak to 150 people about, hey, there's a lion on that one path. And everybody goes, hey, okay, all right. There's no, so nobody goes over there because right. they'll die. But there's no lion on a path. So when something bad happens to us, the first thing we do is we, the person we like the most, our friends, we just vomit ink and f***ing shit all over them. And then this happened, then this happened, this happened. And our friends, God bless them. They never have the heart to go, I don't really f***ing care. 
I care a little bit because I love you, but this is all shit in your house, and I just came to go to a game. What are we doing here? But isn't it important that you get that out? That's why I asked you about therapy. Are you in therapy now? That's you may want to look into that. What place th- to share things like that? Right. Because that person has constructive things to say to you. Training. Show you getting tools paid. To use. Yes. That's their specialty. Right. Your friend, my friend Kelly Lowry. I'm getting gas. We're going to a Dodgers game. I get back in the car. He goes. Spent more time explaining what happened than what happened. I went, oh my God. That changed my life. Right. He's right. This guy drove down from Bakersfield to go to a Dodgers game. Hey, blah, 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 blah. He's like, you know what? What he didn't say was, chill out. Right. That's your shit. Okay, so those weren't the funniest bits, but I, I do. <laughs> they you, were something, though. You, you find someone else that has Jay Moore getting that real and vulnerable. Um, no one else could do that. He, he was awesome. Sheena like, Shea was great. I like the part about the dolphin mowing his lawn. I, I got to get a dolphin like that. I just um, hope that Sheena Shea can get back on top. Yes. <laughs> One of the things that I that I appreciate about Jay's interview and about doing this podcast in general is yeah. having people that you wouldn't ordinarily hear this raw vulnerability and hurt from telling us about their experiences because then our listeners know – oh, shit, I'm not the only one that's going through this. And I think that is very important. Absolutely. And that's part of the whole It's Over Easy mission is to provide this community for people going through what's pretty shitty of a time in their lives. Shitty of a time. Alexa isn't the only one with breaking news. Make sure to hang around at the end of this podcast for the latest breaking headlines on the AP News Minute. From all your friends at Podcast One, thank you for a wonderful 2018, and we hope 2019 is even better. Hey, it's Adam Carolla. This is Heather Dubrow from Heather Dubrow's World. Hey, it's Steve Offs from Steve Offs Show. Hey, this is Rob Riggle. And Sarah Tiana from Riggle's Picks. This is Caitlin Bristow from Off the Vine. Hey, this is Kelsey from The Lady Gang. Happy New Year from Podcast One. So, yes, divorce sucks. I'm Laura Wasser, the divorce attorney, author, and CEO of the online divorce service, It's Over Easy. You're in the right place, and the fact you downloaded this podcast means that you understand. I wrote a book on divorce called It Doesn't Have to Be That Way, which is a how-to guide outlining how to divorce without destroying your family or bankrupting yourself. In the book, you'll learn how you know it's time, how to get started on ending it, how to stay in control of the narrative and tell your kids, friends, and family how to keep your sanity while dividing assets and liabilities, how to find a good lawyer, knowing what to look for and ask for, about spousal support, child support, and custody, things you need to know about discovery, settlement, and court, why men and women handle divorce differently, and most importantly, what now, moving on after divorce, the next chapter. It'soverEasy.com is the practical application of many of the principles I outline in the book, I just didn't know it when I wrote the book because I didn't create It's Over Easy until about five years later. The Divorce Sucks podcast is our chance to connect and support you right here. I wrote It Doesn't Have to Be That Way because I saw a desperate need for a new message on divorce. The message that this generation's breakups can be better, cleaner, less painful than their parents, and with everything else that's changing, divorce too needs to be brought up to speed. Uh, We had Nicole Boxer Senator Barbara Boxer's daughter on. She is a podcaster herself. She also makes documentaries. She has lived in the White House when she was married 
to uh, her husband, who was a Rodham, which was Hillary Clinton's brother, Tony. And she told us some really amazing, but also kind of, you know, goose pimpling stories about how her divorce got super nasty. Like many people in a divorce, I had a custody situation. Uh So I was living in Washington, D.C. I would say, you know, not, I mean, sort of happily, but, um, you know, I had a room in the White House when I was married to Tony. Then we finally bought a house and moved from Miami to Washington. And so we were in the area and we spent a lot of time with the Clintons. They were our closest, you know, family. We could roll our car right up to the White House and, and the guards would let us right in. We loved it. We loved them. We were all very, very close. So it was really, really, really hard to leave. And the timing of it was super difficult because I left about, I would say, right as we were in the last year of the presidency. And so there was a lot of behind the scenes maneuvering to get me to not leave until the presidency was over. And I just couldn't. I had to leave. And I'm sure you have clients that will tell you they started to physically fall apart because of the desperate need to be out of there. Yeah. And uh, so I stayed in D.C. because I couldn't fight the system to take Zach to California. Although my parents were in California, we would do big vacations. And while during the separation, I did flee to California for a little while. I was forced to come back. I decided at some point to give up that battle and just say, F it. I'm going to live in D.C. until he's 18. I'm not going to fight that one. I'm going to relax. My mom was a senator. I... She and I, I had moved into her. I had to leave the marital home. Um, and that's a whole nother story. But I moved in with my mom. What, without getting too detailed and personal. Yeah. Why is that? He, w- he would not leave. Okay. I mean, even though he agreed to originally. And people do. He just squatted. People ask this often. Yes, please. About kick out orders. You know, yes. how do I get him out? Or how do I get her out? Or she cheated on me, so she should leave it. That's actually not the case. If it is the marital residence, and again, this is California, yeah. but I think most jurisdictions follow something relatively closely. Again, if one party or the other owned the house on their own, at some point you could yeah. get him out. Yeah. But if it is the it family residence, you're not getting them out. That's right. Unless there's some kind of violence or threat of violence. Yes. And actually what ended up happening was um, we had an agreement that we would go to counseling and th- it was very distressing. He had a rage disorder, which I hope he's gotten treatment for. Tony. And uh, yeah. Treatment? And, you know, I think I hope so. Um, so uh, I it wasn't a good we just weren't we weren't our chemistry was explosive. Yes. So. We would go to therapy, and at the end of it, it would be like, well, we tried, and he would move out. And that was the deal that we made. And that was like totally peaceful and cool. And of course, the day came, and I was like, okay, babe. Because I still loved him. I was like, I really, I think it's over, and now it's time. Like, you need to move. And he's like, F you, bitch, kind of a thing. And uh, I packed up my little backpack, and I packed up Zach's little backpack. We walked over to my mom's, and that was it. Because I just, you know, look, you you got it at some point, these, you know, so what was really kind of interesting, I would say, is moving back in with my mom, with my child for at least a year or so in this small two bedroom apartment on Capitol Hill, right next door to Mitch McConnell, by the way. Um, We, I was like a child again. 
Yeah. And it was like my son and I were siblings. It was honestly just bizarre. That is a really, I mean, and again, I find that sometimes when I hang out with either of my parents, but particularly my mom. Where she's like, do you have a sweater? Does he have a sweater? I'm like, nobody has a sweater. <laughs> Be quiet. You know, but it, it literally, that's yeah. what happens. And that's I'm sure true. that'll happen to us when our kids. Yeah. It just, it's what you do. It's so true. Um, thank God she was there for you yes. to go to. And again, and I dad. find yeah. so many, so many people with the move out situations. And, and I, I won't be completely you know, chauvinistic, but I do find that often it is the men that kind of can't get it together to leave that, you know, the Richard Gere, I got nowhere else to go. Yeah. Although he, I guess, could have gone to the White House because there was a room yeah, for him there. I don't I'm know not sure. Not so much. I mean, in any event, we have people that actually go out and find an apartment, furnish it, get it all ready yeah. for their husbands so that they can move in there Whoa. because it makes it easier for them. That, that is a good you know. idea. And again, and we have like, like hindsight. Years. <laughs> hindsight is twenty twenty. It's over easy. Didn't exist back then. Yeah. I mean, but that's, that's something that ends up happening because yeah. if it, you make it really easy, turnkey, sometimes that's it, kind of brilliant. Yeah. And I think that, you know, as it was falling apart, there just were other issues that weren't allowing us to communicate clearly in a kind way. Um, and, I felt, I felt because the whole family really was, wanted me so much to stay. It wasn't just Tony's and my relationship anymore. It was like everybody's. Right. And it just was the wrong thing for me. But what was really interesting was this was the year 2000 and, um, Clintons were winding down the presidency. I was living at my mom's and I was, had filed for divorce and, you know, you need like, I think it was six months or a year of separation Mm -hmm. before you get, so Mm -hmm. we were in the, in that process the day I got my divorce papers was the day after 9-11. Oh, my God. So literally 9-11 happened. My mom was in the Capitol. She had to evacuate. I mean, literally a plane hit the Pentagon. Yeah. We thought it was going for the Capitol. The, and so where we lived was an inch from the Capitol complex. So like we were literally as close as you could be. So the streets were flooded with people running up the street the wrong way. My mom's entire congressional staff that needed to be with her came over. Was Zach in school? Zach, this is, it's a crazy story. Zach was at school at Washington International School and the Secret Service went and got him. They did not inform me. Aye. So it's the morning of 9-11. They took Zach, they picked him up and they brought him to where Bill and Hillary were. And no one and told no you? no one even told me. Did Tony know? He knew. Oh, nice. So it was like, you know, we were all scrambling to try to get, to find, get more information what had happened and finally, and this is all part of the communication. That's what I'm saying. Right. So we, we went through that. Zach was safe. And in fact, that's like, that's like kind of like a key benefit, actually. If there's yeah. a terrorist attack, yes. you know that if your kid is the nephew of Bill and Hillary Clinton, he's probably going to be speared away somewhere safe. Yes. So that was good. Yes. The next day in the mail comes my divorce decree with the stamp 91201. Wow. And I thought to myself, the world changed on this day. And the world changed. That is crazy. That was an amazing interview. She also gave us some really juicy Monica Lewinsky stuff. So, And that episode is still there waiting for people to download. Download, download, download. That actually was one of our more popular episodes of this year. Yeah. No surprise. Once you do embark upon the separation or divorce process, it is very important to remember three key things. Be kind, be reasonable, be brief. Remember, this person will no longer be your spouse, but he or she will continue to be your co-parent, family member, and in some instances, your business partner in certain assets and entities. Parents need to remember that the lessons and behavior we display imprint on the futures of our children. 
One of the really interesting interviews that we did this year dealt with um, Chelsea Handler, and she speaks about her brother's death when she was a child and how that kind of froze her in time emotionally and um, really, really emanated into her adult relationships. I've had very unhealthy relationships with men because of my brother dying. Like, you know, in many ways, the parallel seems so obvious, but it wasn't something that I was willing to just, like, accept and move on. Um, you know, I just was like, that can't be – it can't be because my brother died when I was nine. I was nine. Like, hello, I'm, I'm 40s. I mean, I'm 43 now. So what, how could that be it? But, you know, it was. It was my first breakup. It was him telling me, oh, I'm coming back. Don't worry. He was going on a hiking trip. And in Wyoming, in the Grand Tetons, and he's like, I'm coming back. You know, sat there the night before he left in the kitchen saying, I will be back. I will not leave you with these people, meaning my parents, because we all knew my parents were, like, not on the up and up when we were growing up. You know, just a little bit scattered. Um, and, you know, and that was like your, your, you know, your older brother when you're younger is your first crush. He was my boyfriend. I was the, he, he, I slept in bed with him, you know, the first night I was home from the hospital. He was the one who took me to school every morning. He was like, you know, my guy. Um, and that, you know, your brain shuts off at that time at nine years old. I didn't understand that emotionally I stopped maturing beyond that. So any representation of what my brother was, like a right. relationship, a man, I had to, even if they said they were coming back, I'd have them prove it and prove it and prove it and prove it over and over and over again. And if they didn't, if they, and even if in the slightest step, it was like, yep, you were right. I was right. I was right. You're right. a liar. You can, I can't trust you. I can't trust you. You're going to abandon me. So there are two types of guys I've dated, guys that are really obsessed with me and really like interested in me and are all over me, which also drives you crazy because yes. who the wants to deal with that right or there are guys that are dangerous and i've only done that like once and you know in a major relationship over more than a course of months because i'm smart enough to get get out of me but there was something particularly like you know kind of um that drew me back to this guy multiple times and it was just that kind of equation you know each time repeating itself me him doing something you know not being trustworthy not being trustworthy and the way I behaved was childlike because that's, that's when nine. I stopped emotionally right. maturing with regard to men. Right. You know, because I'm like, oh, well, how can you how can you parse that? I say to my doctor, how can you become, the, you know, how can I have had this all this success and all of these things? And he's like, because it's not emotional for you. This stuff is like already that's fine. The emotional stuff is where you're not going to grow until you clean out that injury. And and that relationship was an example of how I, A, never want to behave again in my life, checking somebody's phone. I don't ever want to be that woman. Don't be that woman, I don't, guys. You know, I don't want to mistrust somebody. I don't want to, um, you know, go back to somebody, break up multiple times and get back. That's an unhealthy relationship. When you know all your friends don't approve of something, listen to them. Yeah. Please, you don't just listen to your friends. They know and your family. Um, and also trust your gut. If you don't trust somebody, there's a reason. So you have to trust your gut. And that's a long lesson to learn sometimes. You know, we think we're nailing it or we think we've got it this time. And then the next time it shows up in a different color and we get fooled again. Right. So we have to trust our gut and not waste time with the wrong people. It's okay to go out with the wrong person for a little bit. But don't go out with the wrong person for too long. Right. You know, you're putting the rest of your future on hold. Thank you again, Chelsea, for being here. No episode of Divorce Sucks is complete without getting down to the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Today's download is no different. I've asked everyone these questions, but now it's time for us to answer the Divorce Sucks interrogatory. So, Johnny, yes. are you divorced, married, or single? I am happily married. 
by chance, I mean, just curiously <laughs> speaking, yes. um, who officiated your wedding ceremony, well, Johnny? It would have been the one and only mayor of Splitsville, a.k.a. the Disso Queen, a.k.a. my best friend, dear Laura Wasser. See, it's not, I'm not only a divorce monger. No, I'm no. a wedding monger, too. <laughs> and your favorite breakup song? I think my favorite breakup song would have to be Fading Fast or Less to Love by the Go-Go's. It's a go-go song. And what would you say, darling, to cheer a friend up going through a breakup? F him. Oh, <laughs> nothing else. And what romantic comedy could you watch on repeat? Grease. It has to be Grease. <laughs> and, you know, most people come in here and they say they're different rom-coms, Harry Met Sally, when everybody knows that they have watched Grease at least 100 times. So that's actually, that should be everyone's answer. I agree. I like my rom-com with a little bit of song and dance. There you go. I have to ask the question we're all now wondering. Who plays Sandy and who plays Danny? Olivia Newton-John and John Travolta. No, I meant between you and Michael. Oh. <laughs> That's that very, I'm, more, okay, I'm more of a Rizzo, actually. All right, Jeff. Are you divorced, married, or single? I Well, by that standard single, I guess. Yes, but you're in a, you're in a relationship. Yes. yes. And your favorite breakup song? That's tough. I don't like breakup songs because I like to associate music with happy feelings. So there's really not a song that I would listen to after a breakup. I'd probably avoid songs more likely. Got it. And what would you say to cheer a friend up going through a breakup? I'd tell them to feel how they're feeling for about a week. Just set a deadline to let it go and you know feed into the misery, but always have a deadline. Finally, rom-com? One of my favorites has always been... 40 Days and 40 Nights with Josh Hart. Nice. Right. Hart, Hartnett. Hartnett. I, I knew yeah, yeah, yeah. Good guy. And what about you, Laura? Single. You, yeah, single. Favorite yeah. breakup song is um, Alanis Morissette's You Oughta Know. really angry song from Jagged Little Pill. It's <laughs> a good one. But I firmly believe that if you can go through that really horrible anger and sadness and feel it, then you can kind of move on more easily. I don't think you should repress those feelings. So you ought to know really is that's the anger part. Um, and what would you say to cheer up a friend going through a breakup? This too shall pass, mother It's kind of closely related to F him. Yes. <laughs> and then what rom-com could you watch on repeat? You know, I, I flew back from New York yesterday and I watched Love Actually, which is a great mm -hmm. holiday yeah. um, rom-com, great ensemble cast, and there are so many amazingly poignant scenes in it. Um, one of the parts I love is at the very beginning, the narrator says that whenever he's feeling a little bit low, he either goes to or thinks of the arrivals terminal at mm. Heathrow. You could do it at, at LA, LAX, too. The people would just be fatter. but um, And watching people kind of reunite with their families. And then there's clips of that, both at the beginning and the end of the movie. Seeing how people reunite, seeing how families are, whether it's children and their parents, whether it's couples, in-laws, whoever you're seeing at that airport, it is an amazing both intro and outro to that movie and all the things that are inside of it with the different um, families that are going through what they go through. It's a fantastic rom-com and I highly recommend it. Hmm. So 
In closing of the recap episode from 2018, um, we wanted to thank all of our early listeners. 2018 has been an amazing year. It's been a year of of growth, and it's been a year of education, and um, it's been a year of failure, which is what you learn from. Samuel Beckett had it right when he said, ever tried, ever failed, no matter, try again, fail again, fail better. We are learning, we are growing. We want to help our listeners do the same. We're encouraging the evolution of dissolution. Um, 2019 is going to bring some amazing interviews and guests. Absolutely. Tell us about them, Johnny. Well, we've got a, a few celebrities planned. We've got also more professionals from the mental health care field. We are going to be diving deeper into some of the subjects we touched on in 2018. Thank you for listening, guys. Thank you for being members of our community. Thank you for growing our support system as we talk about and explore breakups, relationships, and moving on to next chapters. Have a fantastic New Year's Eve. Be safe out there. Definitely drink. Do not drive. Um, We'll see you next year. Ciao, America.